Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influence their careers. My guest today is Jodie Morales. Jodie is a New York-based lawyer whose areas of practice include criminal defence, false arrests and appeals. On today's show, Jodie tells us the case of a vulnerable young man and her long fight to protect the rights and safety of her client. I've just got a couple of questions that I ask every guest at the start just to kind of get us going. Um, uh, the first one of those is what one thing do you wish they taught in law school? Empathy. I think that law school is very um, technical, it's very linear, and it does not prepare you to deal with real life people who are dealing with lots of problems that, you know, on many occasions I have no knowledge of you know i have no grasp of what someone who's dealing with addiction is is fighting against every single day um and so it wasn't until i became an attorney and started working as a public defender that i was actually confronted with this you know day in and day out and it really did um push me to to frame my practice around understanding what people are dealing with and confronting at home you know what i mean um, so yeah, law school doesn't give you that background. Um, you have to kind of learn that <laughs> as you go. Absolutely. Um, that's, uh, we hear that from so many people, uh, not necessarily specifically the empathy piece, but just there's, you know, you're, you're taught how the law works and then you have to go figure out how to be an attorney afterwards. Um, what to you is the single most important skill in being a great lawyer, do you think? Listening really listening to your client and what um, is most important to him or her. And I say that because, you know, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I um, practiced as a public defender for 10 years before going into private practice. And as a criminal practitioner, sometimes, you know, for me, the outcome of the criminal case was the most important thing. But that may not have been the most important thing for my client. Sometimes you'll have a criminal case that has um, an impact on the person's uh, house, their, you know, their housing, where they can live. Um, and that might be the most important thing to them. So really taking the time to understand that is the most important aspect in terms of trust building and getting your client the outcome that, that they want, that they deserve. Yeah, absolutely. What do you think is it that, that separates your your work from other other fields like PI or family law or whatever else it could be? I think that criminal defense really um, pushes you to look inside of yourself um, on a consistent basis. Um, you're, you're constantly confronted with questions about morals and ethics and you know you really have to dig inside and say what is my role here? What is my job? Like I may have a specific feeling about this particular case. I may not like this crime, this type of crime, um, but you know, I'm here to protect citizens. I'm here to protect the Constitution. I'm here to make sure that people's rights are not infringed upon. Um, and for me, being a criminal defense lawyer, um, like that is the most important aspect of it. I've never really done PI work. I've never really delved out into other areas. Um, but from what I know of those areas, you know, you're not, you don't have that constant tug and, and pull about, you know, man, this, this client is charged with this heinous crime. Um, you know, how am I going to handle this? Like, how am I going to sleep at night doing this? Um, but really, it's, it's something that um, 
I think is very unique to the practice of, of criminal defense and something that I think has helped me evolve as a human being overall. Yeah, super interesting. So from that kind of description you just gave of, of criminal defense law, I'd love to hear this story that you, you've got about a client that you represented who had some potential psychiatric and cognitive disabilities. Sure. So this young man uh, was about 20 years old when I first met him. Uh, he had never been in trouble before, never gotten arrested before. In fact, um, he had just moved to New York maybe two weeks before he was arrested. Before that, he was living with family in Florida. Um, and when he moved up to New York, um, the idea was that he would have more care. He'd have more family members around to make sure that he was supervised and that he was receiving the treatment that he needed, that he was getting his medication and, and all of that. Um, that actually didn't play out um, the way that his family down in Florida expected. And he was left alone quite a bit, um, left alone and actually uh, tasked with taking care of younger family members, which led to his arrest. Um, unfortunately, you know, he was charged with assaulting one of the younger family members. Um, and because he had such severe psychiatric uh, issues and cognitive issues, um, when he was questioned by the police, he, he did not know enough to say, you know what, I don't want to speak uh, with you without an attorney present. Um, so he ends up giving them a full statement um, in which he basically admits to the crime. And now, you know, I'm tasked with presenting this case to the court at arraignment um, for the court to make a decision about whether he should be released on his own recognizance or held on bail. As you can imagine, someone um, with that many issues having to stay in jail while his case is pending is extremely dangerous um, for the individual. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I really did think at that moment that the judge would take that into consideration and, and release him. Unfortunately, the judge did not. Um, and we had to really work together with the family to, to get bail money together so that they can finally, you know, get him out of jail while his case was pending. Um, it was one of the longest cases that I have ever had to represent someone on because of this unique issue. Um, in New York, uh, you know, a person cannot, if a person cannot assist in their own defense, then they're put into a, a facility, a psychiatric hospital, and they're medicated until they can be competent enough to assist in their own defense. Um, the complication in this matter was that we not only had the psychiatric issues, which of course could be treated with medication, we had cognitive issues that can't be treated with medication. Um, and so my, you know, my argument to the court for, for years was, please do not put him into this facility. Um, we don't know how long he will be in this facility. This facility can't fix this cognitive issue and we're not going to service him properly you know by doing this um, and it took a very very long time to convince both the judge and the prosecutor to agree to that 
to just let him remain at liberty with the services he already had in place until we could figure out the best solution for the criminal case. You know, thankfully, the the judge, uh, after a lot of argument and a lot of uh, meetings, thankfully she she saw my point and um, she did allow him to remain at liberty while the case was pending. But it took nearly four years for us to resolve this case. Yeah, even though the family did not want him to be prosecuted. You know, the family expressed their, you know, desire to have him remain at home, even though, you know, he had assaulted another family member. They they understood where they kind of fell short and understood that him being a part of the, the criminal justice system was not going to serve anyone. Um, so, you know, over the course of three years, he and I became very, very close. Um, we spent a lot of time talking things through because, as you can imagine, uh, you know, explaining um, these big legal concepts to someone with a limited capacity is, is difficult. Um, so it really did push me to be very, very patient, um, to think about ways in which I could communicate these things in a simpler manner, but also make sure that I'm, I'm impressing upon him how important it is to follow through with treatment and things of that, that nature. Um, in any event, the case was ultimately dismissed. And that was probably one of the biggest victories of my entire career um, because I really did feel that the criminal justice system was just so ill-equipped to help this kid. Um, and, you know, he's not unique. This happens all of the time, unfortunately. Um, but for him to get over that hurdle, for us to advocate, and I say us because um, at the public defender's office, I did have social workers that were, you know, on my team to assist. For us to get him sort of out of the grasp of the criminal justice system and back into living a more productive life. I mean, that was just the biggest win in my book. Incredible. What an amazing example of the importance that empathy and patience play in the courts. A big thank you to Jodie for sharing her uplifting story. If you want to find out more about Jodie and her firm, you can find all the links in the show notes at thatonecase.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, please do share it with someone else that you think would also find it interesting. I really would appreciate that. All the details on how to subscribe are at thatonecase.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next time as Jordan Couch tells us the story of That One Case.